I um, I also, though, am one of those really fortunate people that I have been lucky to be kind of in the right place at the right time and take the right chances. Episode 119. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from business women who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. Whether you're a country music fan or not, you've probably heard the names Tim McGraw and Taylor Swift. Today I'm interviewing Lois Lewis, who's the regional director for Republic Nashville, which is a company that represents country music artists. Um, They are affiliated with Big Machine Label Group and that kind of mother company um, represents artists like Taylor Swift and Tim McGraw. Republic Nashville represents artists like the band Perry, Eli Young Band, Cassidy Pope, who was the uh, winner of The Voice a couple of years ago, and Florida Georgia Line, who is amazing. So I actually have known Lois like our entire lives. Like we grew up together in the same small town in Arizona ever since we were like five or six years old. And I have watched from afar this incredible career she's had in music, in radio. And I just thought it would be such a unique vantage point and story for you to hear about not only the industry, but about this woman's drive that has gotten her from making outbound phone calls to people in Tempe, Arizona about what Uh, you know, bands they wanted to hear on the radio to representing some of the top artists in country music. During this interview, Lois goes into some amazing marketing strategies that she uses to be able to get her her artists' music played at the radio stations and talks a lot about your personal brand and how important that is, especially on social media. So whether you're interested in country music or not, I promise there is a lot of wisdom here. So let's get rolling. Lois, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. I've been a big fan of what you've got going on down there, so I feel really special that you thought of me. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm sitting here, like, trying my hardest not to crack up because Lois and I are old, old friends. We grew up together in the same small little town in Arizona, literally have known each other since, what, seriously, like five (laughs) or six? Yeah, yeah, since we were really small. I can't even remember back then. (laughs) (laughs) I've replaced those things with new things I have to remember. Yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) Only so much room and brain for for all of that stuff. But um, I I love the fact that I get to really share your story today because um, it is a very non-traditional one. You know, generally speaking, we have a lot of entrepreneurial women on this show, um, a lot of women who have sort of started companies, been in corporate, started companies, and, you know, have done some really cool things there. But, um, you know, I want to make sure that the uh, the light is not drawn away from kick-ass executive women, women who um, are really smart in business, have, have had an amazing career, and have something really great to show for it. And you were one of those women. And when I started to realize that, I, I kind of want to make sure to highlight a little bit more of that path. You were the very first one I thought of because you've had this tremendous career in radio and in music. And it's something that is a little, it's that industry itself is not very well known to me. And I think that 
um, you know, just everyone listening today is going to get such a treat in hearing a little bit about your story. So, so to start off with, you and I kind of our jumping off point is that you and I were at Arizona State together in the same communications yes. department. <laughs> and, yes, yes. And then you got your very first job in radio. So tell me a little bit about how that actually came about. Like, where did that interest even come from? Because that to me seems like kind of like a one off. Like, I wouldn't have ever even thought of like getting a job at, at the radio. So really funny story. When we were in about fifth grade, we had a local news TV station that was allowing, you know, uh, the fifth graders to kind of take part in it, to be anchor people. And that's what started my love for being an on-air talent. I thought originally I wanted to be either a sportscaster or a news anchor. And that's kind of why I decided to go to ASU with the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Broadcasting. And I was sitting there freshman year in the MU Memorial Union. I was reading, what was our paper called? Whatever it was, like our Sun Devil News. Something uh, there like was that. A, I don't remember. Something <laughs> like that. So I was reading the paper and there was an ad to go work at the local country station, KNIX, and it was to be a media research assistant. I had no idea what that meant, but I thought how cool if I could go work at a radio station. So I applied for the job. I got the job. And after I did that for a little while, I, I just kept kind of trying to get my foot in the door so that I could get into the studio. I wanted to get into the studio. And the morning show there, uh, Tim and Willie, they've been on in many, many markets. They kind of saw me hanging around and they offered me an internship. And I did the internship for a day and then they hired me um, to be with the morning show. So I answered an ad in the paper and then um, the internship I did kind of on my own time and I kept doing the media research for about five fifty an hour. I would cold call people and ask them what songs they liked or hated on radio stations. Um, it's funny, people don't have that anymore. Now radio stations um, really don't have the budget to do research like that. But back then um, and with Bucko and broadcasting, that was still something that they offered. So it was really cool to get my start doing that. But once I realized I could be on the radio and not have to do hair or makeup, forget about it. TV was out. (laughs) TV was no longer a conversation because I do not love doing hair and makeup. (laughs) That is the truth behind why you chose radio as a medium. That's hilarious. That's the truth. Yes, that's the real truth. It has nothing to do with my love of music. Just kidding. It totally does. But it really did come down to the fact that people might think I had a really nice outfit on, but I pretty much much had sweatpants and an ASU shirt all of the time. <laughs> See, and now you know the realities of what happens even behind a podcast <laughs> and this sort of, of media broadcast is like I'm in like workout clothes, no makeup, hair, my greasy yes. hair up in a ponytail right now and I can still sound so professional. I know. <laughs> Ditto. I have pink workout pants on actually just to give you the visual. <laughs> so so how, like, what was that like, actually, your very first experience on radio? I mean, I know you had kind of toyed with it as a younger kid, like being able to kind of practice it out. But what was that really like, actually, you know, for the first time? Because that's, when you're talking radio, that's live broadcast in, in the morning, right? Yeah, so I started working at the radio station in 1999, and by 2001, um, I had been doing various jobs around the radio station. They don't ever just throw somebody on the radio, but I had worked with Tim and Willie. I I talked to the program director of the radio station, who um, his name is George King, and he's still someone that I work with today, funny enough, that many years later. Um, so you never want to burn bridges, just like none of us do in any walk of life. But it's funny, this, this particular business, radio and records, it's just 
super intertwined. But for 53 weeks, I went by George King's office. I knocked on his door and I said, you're going to put me on the air this week, George? No, Lois, we don't have any slots. I'm not going to put you on the air. 53 weeks, sometimes I'd give him a little gift, sometimes something funny just to make him remember me. And on the 53rd week, there was something going on called Big Bass Days. And it was a big concert out in uh, Westworld of Phoenix. And the jocks were out there and then another jock was sick. And so I was just going by his office thinking I was going to get another no. And he said, actually, Lois, I've got a slot for you. You're going to go on tomorrow. And then I was like, Oh no, oh crap! I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to be on the radio. I just pretended that I could so that someday maybe I could get a job. Um, so my first weekend, it was a Saturday shift from uh, 10 AM to 2 PM. And I was awful. I was absolutely awful terrible. They have something in a radio station called a hotline and it's either a red phone or a phone with a strobe light that rings if you do something awful. And my phone rang many, many, many times that first shift. (laughs) It did because I was trying to be like sultry or like Delilah or something that I'm not. And so George King and the head of the head of the whole radio station, his name was Alan. They kept calling saying, what are you doing? We're, we hired you to be you. And in that moment, it all clicked. They hired me to be me. I don't need to try to be anything other than me. And from that moment forward, I, I've never, I, I didn't leave the radio station airwaves for a uh, gosh, eight more years. I, I was on the radio past that point. So really cool start. Wow. So what did you actually do? Like, how long were you actually on air? What was your show? Like, were you sort of the lead character in the show? Or um, was it like, did you have a co-host? Or how was that all set up for, for your time there? So um, when I first started, I would do weekend shifts. It's normally a five-hour shift, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, Back in the old days of radio, you would have to start doing overnights. You'd have to do the midnight to 5 a.m. shift. But now radio stations are mostly automated in that time. I I work with uh, 42 radio stations now in my new job, and I don't know anybody that has a live overnight person. So I kind of snaked out of that. I also snaked out of having to, you know, use reel-to-reel tape. I... um, Once I got there, we actually had transitioned off CDs, off of anything. It was all in a computer system. And so I would show up, uh, sit down, put my headphones on, and um, basically look at a computer screen. And it would have the music already preloaded. And all I had to do was kind of sit there and talk about the songs and take phone calls and um, social networking at that point hadn't really kicked off just yet. MySpace was starting to get going right around then. Um, by the end of my radio career, uh, or I, I say end, I hope that someday I'll go back into radio. Um, but by the end, social networking now is obviously such a huge part of any job in media. But um, I never really had a co-host. I was always my own kind of, we call it a driver or a passenger in radio. I'm definitely a driver, not so much a passenger um but i did i did they called me kind of the utility player you know that from sports where i just fit in wherever they needed me to fit in so i did weekends um i did go on the morning show with tim and willie when one of their um their i guess main people was out for a little while i did that for three months waking up at 3 30 in the morning for three months was Good not God. my favorite <laughs> <laughs> no, i am not a morning person many times i didn't even go to sleep i would just make it all the way through and then uh, crashed after the show at 11 o'clock in the morning, which totally killed any social life that I had. But um, yeah, you just get there and you really just open the mic. And to me, I always thought of 
I would pick different people that I pretended talking to. Some days I would pretend that I was talking to my mom. Some days I would pretend I was talking to my best friend. Some days I would pretend I was talking to my grandpa. And they say the best kind of radio people are those that can touch one person. Sometimes radio people think they're talking to a massive audience, which is true. But when you're listening to the radio, when you're being a radio user, it's just you. It's me talking to you, Katie. I don't need to be talking to a thousand people, though I am. That's not how you should interact on the radio. I think that's one thing that... I don't know, I just got right away, and I just loved being on the radio. I loved playing the music and taking the phone calls and, and telling people, you know, I just saw this new artist in concert, and, you know, here's what you can expect next, and that's, that's really all it is. You just kind of sit there and share the music with the people. Now, I'm very curious as to how you actually um – kind of how you work through what actually engaged people because, you know, we're kind of in a different age of radio, but same with podcasting, same with any sort of platform where you are the person sort of speaking to, um, you know, a community of people. How did you know what, like, how did you decide what was engaging to people? Like, you know, I would imagine the actions that people took if they were engaged is that your ratings go would go up and people would be calling in. But, you know, I guess what kind of things actually worked for you that that made sure that you knew that people were really engaged, they were really listening, they were really enjoying it? I think the big key for me at that point and still for those radio stations that are still live and local, <laughs> yay for live and local anything, um, it was just being out in the community. I mean, we tried to be very community focused at both KNIX, which was the station I worked at in Phoenix and Kim FM in Tucson. And that's really the way that you know what people want. You go to the concerts, you go do live broadcasts, you go watch movies, you watch the shows that people are watching, you read the magazines that people are reading. You just have to have an entire breadth and scope of kind of a whole cross section of people. And then, take little samplings of things that you liked and you just want people, you want people to know that you're just like them. And like I said, some days maybe I wasn't hitting, you know, the mom of two because I'm not a mom, but other days I was hitting the student that was listening because she loved country music. And I was talking about, you know, the fact that I went to ASU. So I think it really just depends. But the main thing was I am a huge concert goer and I would go to the concerts and I would talk to the listeners and I would find out what did they like about my radio station? What did they not like? What could I do better? What? And that's really the only way for radio people. You, you have to just ask the people because that's who you're performing to. So some of it, I think you just have it's just something you have in your head and you just know um, maybe that's why not everybody can do radio but I think I think probably more people could do radio than they think they can because it's not that intimidating it might feel like it is <laughs> but when you sit down there it's just music in a microphone and and you like what I like and I like what you like and and you just have to know that and and you're going to hit on something for everybody well, what I like and a really great common theme that I'm hearing throughout all of your jobs thus far is that it's sort of like this um, kind of old world and new world crowdsourcing. I mean, what you're constantly doing, even, you know, doing the, uh, you know, media research back in the day, like calling people up and saying, hey, what do you listen? What songs are you really liking right now? What do you want to hear? Yeah. I mean, that's what that's our mod modern day version of like social media crowdsourcing. Hey, guys, what's going on? What kind of, yep. you know, what do you like? And, um, and you know, pretty much what I call like keeping your thumb on the pulse of the community. And I've always wondered why, you know, the radio stations are kind of out and about all the time because they do. I'm sure every local market does that, too, where you see them out and about there. They have a booth at the local, you know, um, 
sports games. They're out at the malls. They're just out all the time. And I, I guess it just finally makes sense to me that that's exactly why. Is that yeah. That's their way of really keeping the pulse on what's going on in their community and what people really like. You want to be where everybody else is. If it's Halloween at the mall, if it's the safe Halloween, you know, bring your kids inside to trick or treat so that there's not a fear. We did that every year. You know, even even the local broadcast, sure, we're going out to a car dealership because a client is paying us to do that. But at the same time, our listeners are shopping for cars. And how about we make it more fun? We'll give you a piece of pizza. We'll give you a pen. We'll give you a keychain, And you can shop for your car. You know, something like that. Going to the Arizona State Fair. We always had a huge booth at the Arizona State there because all of our listeners would be there seeing various acts. You know, one of my very first shows was at the state fair. Um, so yeah, really, if radio is doing it right, and if they have the budget to do it right, obviously, like you said, things have changed since from then until now. Um, but I do think the best radio stations still do that. But it, it really is about being out with the people and, and asking them their opinions and, and they'll give them to you. You know, yeah. <laughs> they always will. Now, how does that work as far as your position during, you know, this radio career? Are you um, are you reporting to somebody or others reporting to you and part of your team? Um, or do you have like a team that you meet with regularly? Like how did the whole sort of team team dynamic really work? So it depends in radio. If you're on a morning show, you definitely have a team. You have co-hosts, you have a producer, and then the main person, your boss is always the program director of the radio station. A program director's job is basically everything that encompasses what you as a listener hear on a radio station. They arrange um, getting the proper music that it's their opinion and they pay attention to national charts. They hire the staff. They work with the staff. Um, they, you know, you know, they pretty much do everything. They write the copy that you hear on the radio station. They produce the imaging. They're pretty much the one man or woman show, uh, a program director. So for me, when I was on the radio, I didn't have a team. It was just me. And then I would be air checked every, I would say every couple of weeks at the beginning. And then really every couple of months as, as I began to kind of, you know, hone my skills and my craft. But really it is kind of a... Um, it's funny, it's a lonely job, although you're talking to thousands of people all of the time. When I was on nights, um, I would just show up, I'd say hi to my program director, I'd go in and I'd spend five hours all alone in a studio, but I was never alone because my phones were constantly ringing. Right. But yeah, I didn't really have to report to anybody other than my program director, and for the most part, I just brought in my own ideas and radio is one of those things. It's pretty much no news is good news. If you're doing it right, you're probably not hearing from anybody other than your listeners calling to say, Hey, or to thank you or to request a song. If you're doing it wrong, that's when you're going to hear from a bunch of people. So I was pretty lucky that I really just kind of got to fly under the radar and just be on the radio. Now, I want to move into transition into the current position that you have. Can you talk a little bit? It's so fascinating to me. And and I want to say this. Like you, I mean, you work with some of the top country music stars <laughs> in Nashville. And I just find that so fascinating. So can you, trans, um, you know, like really transition us in into how did you move from radio into the current position that you have? And explain that a little bit. Yeah. So from 99 to 2006, that's when I worked for radio here in Phoenix. It was first Buck Owens Broadcasting, and then it was Clear Channel Radio, which now just, um, they just rebranded as iHeartMedia. Probably some of you have the iHeartMedia app on your phone. Um, what? In 2006, I had been working pretty much eight jobs. All of us women know how that goes. We all wear so many hats, 
And I wanted to know if I could just be on the radio, just on the radio. That's when I moved down to Kim FM in Tucson, which was my hometown radio station. It was so cool. I had teachers call me and say, is this the Lois Lewis that, you know, grew up going to Saurita? And I would say, yes, you know, Mr. Tingle called. Mr. Tingle, he was, uh, he was, he was our math teacher. And he called and he said, is this Lois Lewis? And he said, now I see why you never needed math. <laughs> I was not great at math. I was real good at talking, but I wasn't so great at math. So I worked at Kim FM down in Tucson from 2006 to 2009. But during that entire time, those, those 10 years being in radio, I met a bunch of people from record labels in Nashville. And one of the gentlemen that I met, his name is Jimmy Harnon. He actually was an artist back in the day. He had a song called Where Are You Now? And it actually made it into the top 10 twice. So Jimmy, um, at the time, was the vice president of Capitol Records Nashville. And he had artists like Jody Messina, Jamie O'Neill, Dirks Bentley, Lady Antebellum, Darius Rucker, Luke Bryan, Eric Church. He shaped the beginnings of all of their careers. And Jimmy would come into the radio station and he would see me. He saw me at KNIX when I was in Phoenix and he saw me at Kim FM and I would always say hi. Of course, I would always want to come in and see these brand new artists because they weren't anybody at the beginning when they would bring them by the radio station. Right. And so I would always say hi to Jimmy. And I thought Jimmy was this really cool dude. And, and one day Jimmy called me and he said, would you ever be willing to represent music, represent artists? And my first reaction was no, because I love radio so much. I never thought I was going to do anything other than just be on the radio. I loved being on the radio. So that was that phone call. I never heard from him again. <laughs> and then Did you actually flat out tell him no. Yeah, because it wasn't like really a job offer. It was, would you, have you ever considered this? Yeah. And I've really never considered going into sales. I've been asked to do sales many times. I've been asked to do sales at the radio station um, many times from, from different brands, uh, the, the AC station, the soft rock station. Um, I just never really thought that I would be good at it or was into it. And Jimmy just must have seen something or known something. He called again, and we had a real long conversation about it. And he said, you know, I think you could be really good at this. I think that you are one of those really hungry women that knows how to get what you want. And he, he actually saw things in me that I didn't even really knew. Like, I had no idea they existed. So I said, I'd be willing to talk about it. Could I, you know, yeah, let's, let's have an interview. So he flew me into Nashville. It was the hardest interview of my life. Now, remember, I've been in radio forever, so I really haven't had to interview too much. And um, he asked me questions I didn't have answers for. I just tried to do the best that I could. And I walked out of there thinking, I tanked. I totally tanked. There's no way I'm doing this job. And um, that was on a Monday. And then he called me on a Wednesday. And I was in the parking lot at Safeway in Green Valley. And he said, I'd like to offer you the job. And I said, hold on a second. And I muted the phone and I screamed. And I was so excited. And then I came back and I said, that sounds excellent. When do I start? <laughs> and um, so, so that was in, uh, my goodness, that was in May of 2009. And I've been working here ever since. And here is Republic Nashville. And we have acts like the band Perry, Florida Georgia Line, Eli Young Band, Cassidy Pope, 
And um, we also have a new act called A Thousand Horses that we're going to be launching in January. I've also been lucky enough to work with artists like Martina McBride, um, an artist named Greg Bates. Uh, he didn't make it. That was a really tough thing for me as, as a regional promoter. It just didn't work. Um, and then I'm also part of the Big Machine label group, and we have artists like Taylor Swift, Tim McGraw, Rascal Flatts, Brantley Gilbert, Justin Moore, um, the Cadillac Three, uh, Ray Lynn. Um, we just have a ton of great acts. So it's a really cool, different thing that I'm not even sure a bunch of people know what we do out here. <laughs> well, and that's what I really want to get into because it is such a mystery to me. So, I mean, tell me a little bit as um, I, I, you're like considered the regional director for West Coast promotion. So what does that mean? Like, what does your day consist of? What does it really mean when a label actually has um, you know, these acts, like, I don't really know the whole structure of and the whole business model of that. Yeah, so, so let's just let's take it from this. An artist wants to be an artist. Let's just say the band Perry, because I have been with the band Perry from inception. Kimberly Reed and Neil, they've been writing songs, they've been recording music, they meet with somebody from um, artist development at the radio station, at the radio station. No, no, no. They meet with somebody at the label and they listen to their music and they decide to sign this act. The act gets signed. That all happens beyond me, beyond a regional promotion person. This all happens. And then they say, here's your new band. From that point, it is my job to get this band the attention that they need to make it. That includes... Mainly, I call all of the radio stations in my region, and I ask them to play that artist's song. But it's not just that simple. I have to prove to them why they'd want to play that song. I have to show them why this act will be viable for years to come. I have to show them, you know, what this act has to offer for their listeners in years to come. It, it you know, you don't want just the one-hit wonder type of a thing. Right. Um, so it's really just my job to call radio stations. The first go-around was just to call and introduce myself so they knew who this Lois Lewis was calling them. A lot of them I already knew because I had been in radio. Um, second round, I flew to all of those radio stations. I took them out to lunch or dinner and just made sure they knew me and they could trust me. And then the third round was, you know, bringing the artist around to meet that radio station. And then there's always a fourth round. You normally bring those artists back again to play a show for listeners. And at that point, then success hopefully starts happening. So it's kind of a big process. But those of us who are regional directors of promotion, there's four per label, sometimes five. And it's our job to do everything that encompasses getting an act on the radio and then selling product, which would be CDs or now, you know, online um, digital downloads, and then eventually touring. And um, if in my case, the Florida Georgia line is my first act that will in 2015 be embarking on a headline tour. So Sam wow. Perry is starting to do some headline dates, but not a full on headline tour. I think that they're really close to doing that as well. And it's been just short of uh, five years. So wow. it takes a really long time from inception to success. And you have to just keep working all the time. So you're, I mean, are, are is under your wheelhouse, is that also like um, planning out their tours? So let's say you're going to all these different radio stations that you participate in, are you, is part of your you spiel with them actually like booking them in all of those cities and, and doing, you know, different tours there um, aside from just the kind of the let's go visit the radio station? Yes. So at the beginning, it's everything. At the beginning, you are in charge of everything encompassing that. You're in charge of booking your own travel, booking your band's travel, arranging with the radio stations. 
when you do your first radio tour, which is what it's called when you're launching a band to radio, you take them out on a radio tour and you bring them to what we call sneezers. You want to bring them to A, big markets or B, any markets that you know will talk uh, to other radio stations and just kind of get the viral word going. Um, and yeah, you, you are in charge of everything. Arranging that, it's like a big puzzle and I really hate puzzles. So the beginning of this job was very challenging for me, even just geographically figuring out, do I start up in Seattle and work my way down? Do I start in San Diego, work my way up? You know, so many different ways that I could go about doing this. Um, and yeah, you, you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of if you're going to do a performance with that band, making sure the sound is correct. You're in charge of making sure they wake up when they're supposed to. You're in charge of having a banana and some water and a newspaper for them if, if that's something that they like. I remember my first radio tour with the band Perry, Kimberly, uh, who's the lead singer in the band, and um, <laughs> she, she was taking saltines from the table and putting them in her purse, and my boss, Jimmy Harnan, asked, why are you doing that? And she said, well, we never know when Lois is going to feed us oh. because I never stopped to eat. I never even thought I should stop and feed these kids. So there's just so many things that you don't know until you do them <laughs> what you're even supposed to be doing. But yeah, it's, it's just everything from wake up to go to sleep. And these are like 15, 16, 17, sometimes 19 hour days at the very beginning of their career. Oh my goodness. How are you handling that? Because that's, I mean, you mentioned before we got on air that you travel about 18 days out of a 30-day month, which is a lot. So how do you, yeah. how do you balance that? Because that's, that's a lot. I mean, you have a husband, you have two amazing dogs. I mean, you've got a whole, you got parents. I mean, you've got a whole beautiful life in Arizona, but you're really traveling all around the country. So what are some of your tricks that you use to be able to um, manage that? I don't want to say balance because there's no such thing. But like, you know, how, how do you actually manage that? What, what are some tricks that you have to manage that well? I'm still trying to find that out. <laughs> no, that's not entirely true. I will say at the very beginning of this job, from 2009 to 2010, the first six to eight months were really brutal. I was single at that time, and so that made it a lot easier. Um, I was basically traveling. I even traveled more then than I do now because we didn't have anything yet. We were still trying to prove ourselves as a brand-new record label. We were trying to launch the band Perry. We had just signed the Eli Young Band. Um, and really I was still trying to build people's trust in me as a rep because you're asking people to play these songs and there are at any given moment between 30 and 40 other me's, other Lois Lewis is calling them, asking them to play their song. And these program directors might have one or two slots, sometimes three, if you're lucky to add a brand new song in on any given week. And I'm asking for that. And I'm competing with at least 30 other labels. Now I would say there's only about 10 big majors, but really your competition is strong because even in those 10 majors, they like capital, they have eight or nine acts at any given moment. We have, you know, four acts. So the competition is, is tough just in and of itself. But at the beginning, I remember, I remember about five months in sitting in my parents' closet because I, 
I had a house in Tucson. I ended up renting it out because I wasn't home enough to even justify living there. I moved back to my parents' house in Green Valley, and I was just basically doing the job from there. And I remember sitting in the walk-in closet just crying, thinking, I left the most amazing job in radio for this challenge that was just such a challenge and then no joke about a month later it all just clicked and everything started working and now I can't imagine not doing this job Um, but as far as the balance goes you know I think it just comes with doing it I think that there are some weeks where it's terrible I, I just don't even know left from right or up from down and my husband is a very patient man Um, but then there's other weeks where, you know, I make sure to take time for myself or I know for sure on days that I've been gone for a really long time and I'm coming home, I really try to put that phone away. I really try to give, you know, my family the time that they deserve, but that's kind of also the bargain. They know, you know, Mike knew getting into it, the kind of job that I had. And we had big talks about that and that there were going to be days where I just worked nonstop and I, I really just couldn't even take the time to stop and, you know, check in with him. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I think with anything in life, you, you find the balance when you can. And if you have great support system with you, it, you know, you, you just figure it out. Right. Um, like I said, it's still definitely something that in some weeks it's crazier than other radio tour weeks are definitely the, uh, the toughest weeks of all, because you're, you know, you're trying to take these artists you might have five or six days with them total and you're trying to bring them to as many radio stations as you possibly can in the time that you're allotted. And I remember taking Cassidy Pope out on her radio tour after she won the voice and I had her working from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. every night. And there on those days, um, CMT country music television was following us around. And so we couldn't make personal calls because we were all mic'd up. So I would say goodbye to Mike at the beginning of the day. And I wouldn't talk to him again until, you know, the very end of the night and kind of give him a recap of my day and ask him how he was. So it just depends on what you're doing and what your task is on that particular week. Even, even when we were trying to arrange this interview for this podcast, (laughs) I was tentatively confirming because today we went for ads for one of our brand new songs with Florida Georgia line called Sundays. And when you're going for ads, you pretty much have to be available from, you know, seven in the morning until that chart closes. You're trying to convince as many radio stations as you can to impact on that one particular day. And today was the day. And um, I got all but six of my radio stations. So it was a good day today. No, no kidding. Um, (laughs) I really want to hone in on one of the things that you had said about the fact that you are one of maybe 30 or 40 other reps who are really calling on the radio stations. How... Uh, what tactics do you have and what strategies have you used that are successful to actually get the attention and to get that song played and to be able to, um, you know, really uh, get the attention of the radio person? Like how, what tactics are you using to have them choose you? Such a good question. And it's so funny if you ask people that this job has been around for a long time. Anytime you hear a song on the radio, there's somebody like me that has been instrumental in getting it there. Even in, even in formats like rock where, you know, there isn't new music, basically like classic rock is just classic rock. At one point there was somebody that got that song on the radio. Um, today, really the main formats that have people calling on radio stations are pop and country. And I would say country is the best family. Um, and that's why I, 
even though I like other formats and genres of music, I've just always done country and I will always remain in country because it's such a family. And that's how I approached this job. I wanted people to know that I sat where they once sat. I came from the radio side of things. They often refer to records as the dark side. You're going to the dark side. <laughs> and I think that that's funny, but I came from radio and I will always be a radio girl at heart. So when I introduced myself to all of my radio stations, I came at it from an angle of, I've been in your chair. I know the challenges that you deal with. I'm here to basically still be a radio girl, but to bring you music that you can play for your listeners. And so I've always done it from a passionate point of view in that I can offer you this. And I feel like that gave me kind of a head start and really helped me build great relationships from the beginning. Not only that, but I asked them how they would like their information to be delivered. I think in, in the old days of record promotion, it was you call every week at a certain time and you just give them your spiel. Well, I think if you have 35 people calling you during your call times on any given week giving you the same spiel, it's all going to run together. So I wanted to know how they wanted it delivered. Do they like texting? Do they like Facebook messaging? Do they like phone calls? I've delivered pizzas to people with information on a pizza board yeah. on the box just so <laughs> that they would pay attention if I hadn't gotten a call back in some weeks. I um, like so I, I really have tried to do it differently. What has worked for me is I specialize in creative mailers. I find that I love getting mail. It's funny. We used to never want mail. All we wanted was email. But now all we get is email and we don't get any actual regular mail. Does this happen to you? It happens, oh, right? Like oh, you yeah. want mail. So when you actually it's get like, something like a reel in the mail, you're like, woohoo, yay. I feel this so is special. so exciting. I mean, if it's not a bill, <laughs> you know, you get so excited to open it. So I've really worked hard to do very cool things. Remember, we are in the music industry here. And I feel like sometimes people look at it as such a business, and it is. But I've tried to figure out ways to make it creative and to get people excited to play my song. And so when I've had songs, um, the band Perry, All Your Life, there's a line in the song that says, would you walk to the edge of the ocean just to fill my jar with sand? Well, I was in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico with my mom, grandma, and grandpa, and they helped me go out and collect 20 pounds of actual sand from <laughs> the edge of the ocean. <laughs> we took pictures. I wrote the radio station's name on each different piece of paper. I had 35 stations at the time. I took a picture of me picking up their sand, putting it into a jar, and then I ended up sending all of those bottles of sand to the to the respective radio stations. My grandma and grandpa helped me put them into the mail. The whole thing took me probably two weeks to complete, but it was the best ad day I ever had. I confirmed at that time 21 stations, and that was a record for us as, wow. as a label. And I really think it's because I did something creative. To this day... I still go to those radio stations, and on their desks are those jars of sand. They've Come kept on. them this whole time. So that's when I did. Um, we had a song called Better Dig 2 with the band Perry. Uh, we were launching it right around November 3rd. This is of last year. And I went to the Spirit Halloween stores, and I bought a bunch of the foam gravestones. And I wrote a little poem, and I sent these foam gravestones to all of my radio stations and asked them basically to add the song. And so that was another fun thing I did. Um, I've tried to do fun things like that. I had um, Eli Young Band had a song called Say Goodnight. 
I made a little book. I wrote a little book and I read the book to, at the time, my friend's little boy who was like four months old and we videoed it and that's how I delivered that song. So I try with every single song to do something that just is different or that makes them think about it differently or smile or that will sit on their desk. And so that as they're getting these other phone calls or emails from all of my competition, they're going to remember mine because it was cool and unique. And there's only, I would say a handful of us out of all of those radio state or all of those record reps that do that. There's maybe five that do creative things like this. I love that. I think that's such a great idea and very pertinent for anyone who's trying to get the attention of someone that they want that is a decision maker for them. So I think that's a really great idea. Um, I think if you can have fun and be creative, I feel like everybody is task saturated. I feel like we all are so busy. We're all doing you know, six jobs for one, because that's just how it is right now. We, we all have so many responsibilities, but if you can bring somebody that fun, I think it changes their outlook on whatever it is you're trying to deliver to them in any kind of a position. I mean, and that's how I look at it. And I remind my colleagues the same. We, uh, we actually are all four women at Republic Nashville. We have Angie handles the North East, Stacy handles the Southeast, Kristen handles the Southwest, and then I handle the West. And um, two of them are brand new at doing this. And so I try to help coach them. And I, sometimes it gets so crazy and, and so busy. Sometimes I just say, guys, don't forget, our bottom line is to just get a song on the radio. <laughs> and I think sometimes we make it so much more complicated. And there are so many challenges. But that is really our job is we just want to get songs played on the radio. And so you have to have fun with that. Um, what have you done in the space of social media in order to really, um, you know, kind of further the cause for you? Because I would imagine that was a huge game changer for how you can get the attention of these radio stations or how you can get the word out, not only to the radio stations, but kind of to the general public about these bands that you're representing. So um, what kind of tactics have you used within social media to be able to help get the word out and to be able to garner that attention? Man, social media, I just, I think there is no greater advantage that we have that is basically free. I mean, there are things that you can do and pay to to enhance your brand, but we have the greatest advantage of getting in front of thousands of people. Taylor Swift is famous for basically being the first artist to really take MySpace and change it to her advantage. You know, she has a brand new album launching this week called 1989, and, and I watched her Facebook about it, tweet about it, just make sure that all of her fans, all of the people that have any like or want or care to buy a record now know that they can go buy a record. And that's how I look at it as well. I remember when I started this job, another one of the regional directors of promotion, I'm not going to say who it was, told me, you're not the brand, your act is the brand. And I felt like that was a I just felt like that was wrong. I felt like in order for me to deliver my act as a brand, I have to be a brand. So I really tried to use social media to, I guess, maintain the brand that I already had as Lois Lewis, the honor personality. I carried a lot of my listeners over into what I do now, and they all feel like they have an inside look because they listen to me on the radio station, whether it was at KNIX or Chem FM. I, they've been able to watch me 
embark on this new journey. And basically, I, uh, you know, I'm responsible for some of their favorite artists. I mean, how many people love the band Perry and Florida Georgia line now? And they got to see me start at the very inception with them. So I've used social media to, to really create a brand for myself. And I try to include, I try to balance it so that it's there. There is stuff there that I list for professional reasons. I always talk about my acts and I always post about my my bands, but I really also want to make sure to always be including personal stuff about my family, about getting married and how exciting that was. And I waited, you know, 35 years to get married. And I I post about my dogs probably even more than I should, um, <laughs> but, but they're part of my brand and I use them as part of my brand. They, they take a lot of pictures with stuff when I'm trying to get it played on a radio station. Instead of just sending a thank you email, I write a little note and I make my dogs pose with the note and then I send it to the radio station. It's just more fun that way and it gets their attention. So for me, social media, I really tried to stay current with Twitter and and Instagram and Facebook and really just have a presence. You know, my boss, Jimmy, he, he has a great line. He says, look, I don't always need to know, like, I just need to feel your presence. I don't need to know what you're doing, when you're doing, but I have to feel you always. I just, as long as I feel a presence, I know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because remember, I'm out here in Arizona where my whole label is in Nashville and they just have to trust that I'm out here working. Right. You know, they, they can't see me. They don't know. I don't punch a time card. Um, and, and that comes, the trust goes both ways, you know. And, and I just think that that is the same with social media. As long as you are felt, I think you're doing your job. You don't have to, you know, each thing can work for each person differently. You don't have to post all the time. My husband only posts when he wants to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. I post <laughs> all the time. You know, I think you just tailor it to what works for you. But I've I've really worked hard to maintain a brand that I'm a radio girl that now is in records. And I have appreciation for the entire, I guess, you know, from A to Z, how a song gets recorded to put on the radio, to play it on the radio, and then eventually selling out arenas. And I feel like social media, you can really share that story from the very beginning all the way until success. Um, what I would love to know from a businesswoman's perspective, like what do you do to stay motivated? Because there have got to be some of those down days that you have that are just, you know, you're traveling, you're tired, whatever it is. What do you do in your life to make sure you stay motivated and you keep moving? Because you have a lot of drive. Like, I, you know, I always get the feeling like you're never done. Like, I never know what, what more Lois is going to go and do. So, and so many women who are part of the Biz Women Rock community are like that too. Like, they just keep on striving. They keep on striving. So what do you do to stay motivated and keep moving forward? You know, I think there's various things. I think for me, I have to always remember why I got into this, not just to not wear makeup or where, you know, um, I can wear my workout clothes and be on the radio, but I, <laughs> I love music and I loved concerts since I was a little girl. I don't really know where I got it from because my mom is such a type A person. She doesn't even pay attention to song lyrics. She, you could play a song for her 100 times and she would never be able to tell you what it was about. <laughs> I don't know how I got that because I love music and I've loved music since I was just a little girl and I just wanted tapes. I, I remember asking for tapes. So sometimes when I'm really up against it or challenged or I can't get an ad for a song or I, 
I have to just stop and remember what I'm doing. The baseline of what I'm doing is getting songs out so that people can hear them, so that a 14-year-old can discover the band Perry, so that, you know, a 25-year-old can discover Dirt from Florida Georgia Line. I mean, what? I, I just have to stop and remind myself, like, what am I actually doing? This is so cool. And there are far more uncool moments in this job than there are cool, but they are always the end game is such a really cool, advantageous ending that I just really try to focus on that. And I know that all of the little details and all of the really hard work and all of the air miles traveled and uncomfortable hotel beds, they're all, you know, leading me to be able to celebrate with Florida Georgia Line when they win Vocal Duo of the Year or when the band Perry's song, If I Die Young, wins Song of the Year and Single of the Year. I mean, these are big goals that we're striving to get and all of the yucky stuff, you know, has to come along with it just like with anything in life. I do that. I also feel like... um, rewarding yourself with the things that you really like, especially if they have to do with your profession. I still try to go to concerts for acts outside of my label and outside of my genre so that I'm getting to experience those things like a listener, like a normal fan, like somebody who's not on the inside. I go to as many shows as I can. I go to hip-hop shows. I go to rock shows. I'm going to go see Justin Timberlake in November because nice. <laughs> I, I love Justin Timberlake, you know, and um, and I, and I buy tickets to all of these things. I mean, I feel like if you're also being, being a listener and, and, and experiencing, you know, those things from that perspective, it can drive you professionally to do what you have to do to allow others to experience the same thing. Um, so I do that. I also go to movies all the time. I go to trivia every Wednesday. I really try to make time for things that, you know, keep me happy and keep me able to work hard it's work hard play hard you know it really is i can't agree with you more all right so i want to conclude this session by going into our favorite five are you ready Mm -hmm. i haven't told you all the questions i'm gonna ask i just gave you a little sampling of some so So nervous (laughs) (laughs) okay so i would like to know what is your favorite book My favorite all-time book, I, you said, say the first thing that comes to my mind, yeah, was Matilda thing. by Roald Dahl. I must have read that book more than any other book that I have, but I really liked Matilda, and I liked the message that it, it gave. But I am an avid reader, and I really love Dean Koontz and Stephen King and Robin Cook, if you like medical mysteries. And, of course, I'm a girl, and I love Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm but favorite that. one would be Matilda Roald Dahl, for sure. Nice. I um. I don't. I can't believe I'm actually going to say this on air. But I, I told my <laughs> husband the other day. We, were, um, I, I think Nicholas Sparks had just come out with like some new book or whatever like that. And I was like, Oh, do you remember when we watched The Notebook? And he's like, I hate that movie. And I was like, um, Excuse me. I think you were crying at the end of that movie with me. And he's like, No, I wasn't. He like totally, totally blanked it out. Like would not admit that he ever like had tears in his eyes during that movie. I was like, I They always you. cry. I know. They will <laughs> lie, but they always do. That movie gets you. You can't help it. That I was know. well acted. It was very well acted. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, he just, he will not ever admit to this. So if you're listening to this, um, please don't ever mention that I mentioned this on this podcast, please. So, That's so funny. <laughs> um, okay, how about, you You are very tech savvy. I would love to know your favorite app or like your your favorite kind of like tech tool that you use that is really helpful. Maybe not even just in your career, but, you know, in anything that just really helps you in your life. Concur. The Concur Expense app has changed my life, and it oh, allows see, me to keep up that. with it. 
expenses. I <laughs> see. I keep up with expenses on the road. It's the program that we use at Republic Nashville. If you think about it, when I'm out on the road and when I'm with artists, all of that has to be cycled back through our accounting department. Right. So I have thousands of receipts at the end of each year. I have to keep up with them about every two weeks. I'm always behind. I cannot stay on top of them. I try, try to keep my accounting department happy. Um, but Concur has, has enabled me to take pictures of receipts on the road so that I don't use them to start filing them. So for my particular job, Concur really saves my life. Oh, so I, I guess that would be the app. Somewhere. Yeah, that would be the app that makes me happiest. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, all right. This might be a very hard question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who is your favorite musician? <sighs> if you were to look at my most played artist on my Apple, you know, any iTunes, I think that would be the only fair way to answer it. And I think you would find that Taylor Swift tops the list. Nice. Very, very nice. I think that Taylor Swift is a genius, whether you like her music or don't. You have to know from an insider's perspective, I have spent time with Taylor. I have seen her do what she does and nobody else does it the same way. She is an incredible artist, genius. She 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 does everything. She makes her stage show the way that it is. She helps produce her records. She has written these songs since she was 12 years old. She is just, I, I guess I find not only do I love her music and I do love her songs, all of them, any format, any genre, I also love that I get to see as an artist she is from A to Z. Everything is Taylor. There is not somebody else going, you should do this. You should do this. She really comes with a complete picture and hires the right people around her to make that picture become a reality. And I just respect her so much for that. But uh, I really do love Taylor Swift. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very nice. Other than Taylor Swift, what has been one of the best concerts that you've ever been to? I have to say there is a distinct tie, and I will give you the reason. Garth Brooks did a concert back in, oh my goodness, when was it? It would have been 2007. There were some fires that were happening in California, and he did a two-day stint of five concerts, two on one day, three on the next day. They were to raise money for the um, fire relief. And at that time, I had just been offered a position with a rock station in the market. It would drastically decrease the hours that I was working at the country station, and I would be hosting a morning show, and I would be getting double my salary. Of course, I had to think about it. I went to the Garth Brooks concert. I remember Gwen Foster. She's another big woman who rocks. She's been in radio and now she's in records as well. She is basically my mentor. She said to me, go to the Garth Brooks concert and then see if you can switch formats. See if you can go work and rock. I went to the Garth Brooks concert. After the third song, I went up the stairs and I said, I I made the call and I said, thank you, but no thank you. My heart is in country. His concert was so good that I could not envision myself ever working another format of music because he encompasses family and country and radio probably better than anybody else. And that's who Taylor learned from. So Garth Brooks was definitely right up there. But my second favorite, I just saw him, and I've already mentioned it in the podcast. I'm going to see him again in November, uh, Justin Timberlake. He is just the all-encompassing. He's another one. He, he writes it. He produces it. He sings it. He, has, he just has a vision. And I, I, I just felt like I was seeing Justin Timberlake plus Jimmy Fallon plus, I mean, the show was amazing. So 
I just, um, he not only sounded great, and that guy can actually really sing, right. but he was funny, and his dance moves, I mean, you know, I was an instinct girl, so it, it was kind of cool to follow him among, you know, along with his journey, and, and now he's a solo act, but his concert was amazing, so I went with my girlfriend, Holly, and I came home, and I told my husband, you're going to this concert, there is no discussion, <laughs> and uh, we bought tickets, and we bought airfare, we're going to go see him in November in uh, Anaheim, California, nice. so Justin Timberlake for the um, win. <laughs> that's, yep. that's great, and I love Garth Brooks, I think he's wonderful. Oh, just the best. Okay, so let's get to the final, fifth and final question, which is totally off the beaten path. What is one of your favorite meals? I will tell you it's so easy. I love stuffed peppers. Really? peppers. My grandma used to make or still make stuffed peppers, and she gave me the recipe, and I only can make about four things. Stuffed peppers is one of them, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I now make them with ground turkey, whereas she makes them with ground beef because I like it better, but stuffed peppers is probably my very favorite home-cooked meal. If we're going to go out and spend the big bucks, I like teppanyaki. Nice. All right. Well, Lois, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for sharing a little bit about your journey, a lot about your industry, and about how radio and how music really works behind the scenes. I think it's been so fascinating and um, so many great nuggets in there about, um, you know, just lessons that you've learned along the way as a businesswoman. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for asking me. I think I was probably all over the place because this is one of those jobs that is all over the place. But obviously, <laughs> I'm available at any time on any forum. And if anybody is more interested or wants to get a more insider's look, I'd be happy to uh, to entertain that. And if, if you're ever out and about on the West Coast and you want to come to one of my shows, you just let me know and we'll hook up. Bizwomenrock.com forward slash one Truly love that conversation with one of my childhood friends. It was really great to catch up with her and to be able to share about her business journey and all the things that she's learned. Really, my number one takeaway from there was how creative uh, she was in her marketing to the radio stations. And I think that that's directly applicable to all of us. I mean, my goodness, if there is a client you want to get in front of, if there is um, a, you know, kind of a door opener or decision maker you want to get in front of. That is such great advice and really cool ideas on how to get their attention. Love that. So thank you so much for being on the show today. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.